Um, for, for a long time, I'd never really experienced anything like this kind of deliverance. Anybody else there with, with me? For a long time, I never, in my like early Christian life, I, I never saw anything like, a, like a, a, a person falling to the floor and screaming and being delivered of a demon, or, or a person with some kind of physical limitation, disease, blindness, um, being mute, having that accredited or attributed to some kind of demonic influence, and then actually worked with toward a spiritual solution, not a medical solution, and having that physical limitation delivered from them because it was attributed to the demonic. I've never seen anything like that in my early Christian life. And then I left the country. And you, and you just get messed up, right? My whole narrow little worldview of how I see these things, it just got messed up. Uh, I... I used to just think spiritual warfare was something you prayed against occasionally, but you never actually saw. And I thought demons were just usually a scapegoat for sinful behavior you were too weak to repent of or you desired too much. That you, 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 there's certain things that, that you're strong enough to... You, it's, it, it, there's certain sins in your life you don't actually want, and then you repent from those things, you get over those things, but the things you keep returning to, you don't want to... I, I would just think people would blame that stuff on demons. Well, you're just a sinner. That's all that is. And sometimes, maybe that's true, but I would never give even the space or the possibility to spiritual causes of physical situations and would always try to, try to pursue physical solutions instead of spiritual solutions. And then I left the country. I went, uh, uh, I went to work on a, a medical uh, team in a, in a uh, developing world country, and um, I just knew it. I, I had a, a friend of a friend that was an indigenous pastor in this uh, country, and he invited me to come on a, you know, a, a medical team full of doctors because he was tired of having these teams come in that would just kind of like care for people's bodies but wouldn't actually pray for people or, or, or try, to, try to care for people holistically. And so he just said, dude, come in, uh, because usually these teams he had come in, they'd be like maybe half Christian, half not, or, or just nobody's even following Jesus. They just came with like medical credentials or whatever. So he said, dude, come on. I know all you can do is put a Band-Aid on somebody, but just come on, and I'm just asking you to cry with people and pray with people. That's all I'm asking you to do. And so I went on the, and joined this team. We were down there for about 10 days, and uh, there was just one day in particular where we were kind of in this area uh, of the city, and there was this huge line of people. And basically, the, the way it worked, and all the doctors just laughed at me all week. They had no idea why I was there. I mean, I'm just like this random person. I can give out, I can give out multivitamins. That's what, that's what I'm doing here. And so they, they had this station set up where, like, people went into this kind of, you know, where the nurses were. And, they, and the nurses would see people first, and then if people needed, like, advanced medical treatment, they would send them to one or two, one of two different kind of, like, higher-level medical tents that had these doctors in them and a whole bunch of, like, uh, uh, um, kind of, you know, materials, all this kind of stuff. And then they would go to, they would leave the medical tent, and I was the last stop. And what I was doing was giving people, like, peanut butter sandwiches, and I would just pray with them. That was the last stop. And they, the doctors all just thought it was the dumbest thing. And like, what's this guy doing or whatever? We got to send people, we got to tell people go buy the water, the, the water and peanut butter tent when they leave or whatever. And so, and I'm just over there and I, and, and there's a language barrier. I can't even talk to people. So I just, people just come in 
And, and I, you know, I just kind of like offer him some food and some water. And I just say, I learned how to say, can I pray for you in the, in the language? And then I, I would just pray a blessing over them. It was just very simple. I didn't know any of these people's stories. It was just like, God, we, we you know, just help this person to see that in this situation, they are so loved it, it, that you're with them. Somehow help them to see that, that you're with them, that you're, you're their counselor, their helper. And would you restore them, their community, their family? I'll just pray like a very simple blessing. There's this one day where this, cra- like, I mean, it was like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. This guy that was crazy drunk came to the, to the, uh, the medical clinic. And you could tell by how people were interacting with him that he was like always drunk, like forever drunk. Um, and people were kind of like laughing with him, and, and, but, but, but not, not, not laughing with him, laughing at him, right? I mean, it was like, he was like the joke of the community, and the people were like playing little games with him or whatever, and eventually it came his turn. He didn't have any medical issues. He just went, went in, he just wanted to kind of do the thing or whatever. And then eventually he came to me. And he kind of came up and he like, he like, you know, he like hugged me and then he like tried to do this little boxing thing or whatever. And I was like, awesome, hug, we're good. I gave him some water and some peanut butter and everybody's still kind of like watching him and laughing at him and stuff. And then I just like, real, real simple, I'm just going to pray this little 30 second prayer. And I started every pray, prayer with like, Lord Jesus. And the moment I said, Lord Jesus, he just started screaming in this like low tone that he did not have before, dropped immediately to his hands and knees and, and just kept screaming constantly. And immediately, in my mind, I was like, this, he needs medical attention. This person needs medical attention. <laughs> I thought, I was convinced that he had, a, a, like, a, he just burst an appendix. The only reason I thought that is because I've seen Friends. There's like an episode of Friends where Joey's like, that's how I knew. That's, that's what I thought. So I'm like, this guy just had, so I'm yelling for the doctors, like, get over here. He's just on his hands and knees, eyes closed, and he's just screaming in this low, low voice. The doctors come over. They thought he was convulsing. He's not convulsing at all. They're trying to talk to him. He's not talking at all. They're trying to like, like trying to help him up. He doesn't want up. He's just like locked in his hands and his knees. And the pastor, the pastor that invited the whole team to come down or whatever, invited me to come down. He's just kind of working the crowd, loving on people or whatever. And he sees what's happening. Nobody called him over. I didn't call him over. The doctors didn't call him over. He sees what's happening, just runs over to us, gets down on his hands and knees, takes two seconds to look at this guy, looks at the doctors and says, go back to your stations. You have no, you can't do anything here. You have no, you can't do any, you're not qualified to work with this. And they go back to their stations and he turns to look at me and he says, help me. (laughs) Help you do what? What are we doing? And he just looks at me like, this is, what are you talking about? You don't know, this is basic. Help, help me, man. What what is going on? And I'm like, "Uh, okay, tell me what to do. And he was like, pray, what have you been doing? Pray, what is the problem? And we just, I mean, we, I, I just, he just prayed with him and I just prayed by him and I was just like, God, I don't know what's happening. You know how to pray, God. You know how to pray. I don't know how to pray. And the, he prays with this guy for a little bit and the guy eventually, like, can, he, he's starting to speak regularly, but he, can't, he still can't stand up and he keeps talking with him, keeps praying with him. The guy eventually stands up, opens his eyes. His voice is totally different and he's like straight sober, like instantaneously sober and like I can't you know and he the pastor and him are just talking and he's crying and they're just hugging and all this kind of stuff and I don't know what's going on he comes over to me and he's talking to me I can't understand him we hug he's crying I'm starting to cry I'm like I don't know what just happened and I eventually you know I go home and I'm like unlocked like 
I, I am so ill-equipped in an area of the life under the leadership of Jesus in mission that I must now understand. I must understand. And, and honestly, I have not told that story to almost anyone because I am still so embarrassed by it. I don't know why. I mean, I'm st- I just feel shamed by that story. To like be in a situation where you, you encounter what, is, what, what in hindsight is obviously a spiritual problem and for my instant nature to call for doctors, to call for medical attention, to instantly, involuntarily diagnose the problem as only a physical problem and only pursue a physical solution. And then when, when the one who is qualified actually comes to, and, and understand what's going on for him to turn to me and be like, you're, de- what are you, you're qualified to deal with this and me to feel like, no, I'm not. I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, uh, it was a moment that, that opened my eyes. Uh, maybe even a conversion, a bit of a conversion moment for me in my life with Jesus. I thought following Jesus was about focusing on my holiness, but I forgot I was in the middle of a war that I had just taken a side on. A cosmic war, a spiritual war, a struggle of two kingdoms in the world between the kingdom of God and Babylon between light and darkness. And this is what Jesus is exposing in this text, both through kind of like the, 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 the controversy over Beelzebul, but then even in all of the follow-up and all the stories that he tells, in, in all of it, he's exposing not just that we are in a spiritual war here, there is good versus evil, but you have to decide whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? Are you with me or are you against me? My power comes from the finger of God. Where's yours? Uh, If you're going to accuse me and and my source, you have people that are delivering people. Can't the accusation be laid against you? Do you know what side you're on? And when you deliver something from a house, it never stays empty. It's always filled with something. Who inhabits it? You're on a side. It's what he's exposing. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger, when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man entrusted and divides up that plunder. Satan is the strong man. Fully armed. Guarding this world. But someone stronger has come. Someone stronger has come to wage war with him. Overpowering him. St- stripping him of his armor. And dividing up his plunder. His possessions. Someone stronger has come to free the oppressed. To liberate. Someone stronger has come. See, the purpose of Satan is to steal and to kill and to destroy. And therefore, the work of Satan is to divide and to imprison. If his goal is to steal and destroy, the way that he does that is to completely fragment everything, to fragment you, to keep you separated, fragmented from God, to to, to divide you from each other, get you isolated, to, to even fragment you in your own self, in your own life, and then to put you in bondage. To put you in bondage to him, to put you into, in bondage to, to your own lies, to put you in bondage to each other personally and systemically, to put you in bondage. The purpose of Jesus and his kingdom is to restore life and peace, what the Bible calls shalom. And therefore, the work of Jesus is to liberate and reconcile. It is, he, he is like diametrically opposed to the work of Satan, to the work of the devil. To divide and to imprison the work of Jesus for his goal of life and peace is now to liberate and reconcile immediately. 
to liberate us from our bondage and oppression, the bondage and oppression that the devil puts on us, the bondage and oppression that you put on yourself, that we put on each other, and to reconcile us to God and to each other and to creation and even within yourself, to make you whole. Liberation and reconciliation have to go hand in hand. Jesus attacks, he overpowers, and he plunders the strong man. But if that house is only cleaned but never inhabited by someone else, that oppression will come right back. And it will be a far worse bondage. And by the way, I, just, just, I, I do think that there is this, this possibility for individuals to be liberated and reconciled. And if you do not reconcile, it will be inhabited by a new demon, a new bondage. And I actually think societies and communities can be liberated from demonic oppression. But if that community is not reoriented around the leadership of Jesus, that oppression will come right back sevenfold. The hard part for us is that we don't really see much of this kind of demonic activity in our Western context. We don't see people fall to the ground screaming very often. We don't see physical limits that, are, that we think are caused by demons. And so if, if, the, if the thrust of the text is, is there is a war afoot, then an exposing of a great war that we're in, and are you going to join the fight? I, I, I just want to wrestle for a moment for why it is that we keep convincing ourselves that we're not fighting, that we're not in a war, to not see it. I think there's two main reasons for that. The first reason is because we are culturally programmed not to consider spiritual warfare. Uh, uh, there, there's a, a, a missiologian out of Fuller Seminary who wrote this book called Understanding Folk Religion. His name is Paul Hebert. And he, he makes the argument in that book that uh, uh, d- developed nations, uh, the Western world, um, is... is predominantly uh, governed by what's called high religion. And he, and he argues that that term, high religion, refers to a spiritual worldview um, that, that uh, all physical problems are, are attributed to physical causes, and therefore you pursue physical solutions. And that the spiritual side of things is never usually a, a, a core cause or therefore a core solution of any problem. And so the spiritual world, it just kind of gets this own silo inside of a high religion society in developed worlds. Now, then he would say in, in a developing world, in the developing world, in developing nations, he would say that uh, uh, the dominant view is folk religion. That's what he calls it. Religion that always attributes spiritual cause to physical problems and therefore always pursues uh, spiritual solutions to those physical problems. Folk religions assumes cause to be spiritual and then pursues the same solutions. The, and what he posits in the book is that both are true. Both are true. Both have merit. And when like kind of Western missionaries go to the developing world, oftentimes what they're doing, a, a lot of times subversively, is trying to convince people with a folk religion worldview to convert to a high religion worldview. Build yourself a hospital. What's the problem here? You know, every, every sickness is like, let's get medication. Every, every, there's almost like no consideration for spiritual cause and spiritual uh, solution. Where I, I actually think there's a mutual learning here. And, and, if, and there's no standardization. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, when, when you're with someone and they're sick, here's how you know when it's, a, when it's got a physical cause and here's how, when you know you should pray for, for a demon to be delivered. There's no standardization. It's about spiritual discernment. 
in every single situation. It's about growing in discernment. And the problem is you can't grow to discern if you've actually disqualified a whole category. So I, I think if there's, if there's just a little bit of a word of encouragement for our community, I think like some of you in this room are spiritual discerners. You actually have the gift, I think, of spiritual discernment, but you don't talk that much. Uh, and there's going to be, there's some of you in this room who maybe sometimes you've been in a situation where, with someone where they're, they're kind of, they got a problem and they're kind of diagnosing it, like it could be this, it could be this, and in your mind you're like, man, that's the devil. <laughs> that is the devil. But you don't know if you can say that. Like, you don't know how they're going to react, you, you don't know if they're going to think you're crazy or something, but you're like convinced, like, I just, I, we should just pray, you've got a demon. Like, there's, you've got some oppression going on, like, you're being heavily influenced, like, there's, there's some kind of, like, scheme of the enemy here. Uh, I remember getting coffee with, I don't want to, I, I didn't ask her if I could do this, I remember getting coffee with Evie uh, just a couple weeks ago. We were sitting at, at the bunker, if you know Evie, you probably know what I'm going to talk about, we were sitting at the bunker, and... Someone in my family has been sick constantly for 10 months without reprieve. Ever since we moved here, someone has been sick. Usually both my wife and my son are sick. And when they're not sick, I'm sick. Bad sick. And she was asking me, how are you doing? How's Tampa? And I just told her, it's, it's really great. I, I wish my family was healthy one day, but it's really great. And she was like, talk to me about that. What kind of sickness? And, and, and when I'm processing it out loud, I'm like, you know what? I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure it's either the Florida allergies. I've got it narrowed down. It's either Florida... Florida's making us sick. Or it's the, all of the window units we have in our house, we haven't cleaned out the filters. Like, we just clean out the filters. I think the house is making us sick. It's either the house or it's Florida. I'm not sure. And she was just like, Lucas, it's probably the devil. Like, she's like, that's the devil. And I was like, uh, for a minute, I was like, yeah, probably, actually, probably. This makes sense. But again, I'm like not programmed to even consider that as a category to discern, right? The second reason besides just being culturally programmed not to consider spiritual warfare is because the devil usually operates subversively within a cultural context, within things that you wouldn't even consider or see. When I go to a, to a, a foreign country, I can see some of their kind of demons a little more, more clearly than they can. But the same is true if they come to here. They look around in our world. They live in our space for a little bit. And people from foreign countries come here and they can see like there's demons everywhere up in here that we're not even considering. We're not thinking about because it's subversively in the milieu of how we live. I mean, you tell me, does consumerism function to bring life and peace or division and bondage? Does obsessive individuality bring life and peace or division and bondage? Does screen addiction bring life and peace or division and bondage? Uh Uh-oh. Does constant competition bring life and peace or division and bondage? Does narcissism and self-preservation bring life and peace or division and bondage? And if something is bringing actually a demonic outcome and you're attributing it actually to like a holy source, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Friends, our, our city, the people around us are riddled with demonic influence and oppression. And the more we believe that all of those issues can be addressed by reading the right book, being with the right people, implementing the right laws, finding the right therapist. The more we believe that every problem can just be reasoned away, we give away the mantle God has given us as heralds of the gospel, as priests in a city, as the ones who have been endowed with all authority in heaven on earth to actually fight evil in all of its forms. We give it away. 
I just keep thinking of the face of that pastor in that medical tent looking at those doctors and saying, there is nothing you can do here. Nothing. And then turning and looking at me and saying, what you, get down here, what are you doing? Be a priest. You've got all authority in heaven and on earth. Be a priest. We see evidence every single day, every single week of the war that we're in when evil makes itself known. When the darkness sometimes seems resurgent. And that's especially been true this week with, with the events in Charlottesville. And I know, I know Brian already, you know, we as a community he, he offered some words, some prayer. We, we, we dove in as a community, but I just, the, the text leans so heavily into it. I just wanted to offer a moment, just wanted to, to, to take a minute to address those in the room that are hurting. Those in the room that are carrying pain and burden. Maybe those in the room who actually were hesitant about coming today. Those in the room who, who maybe even have struggled to be with God. Uh, have certainly been hesitant to be in multi-ethnic spaces like this. I think it should be clear that in the matter of Charlottesville, Jesus was not neutral. That there was a war afoot. All, Charlottesville is just an, another emerging of this war that we're in. This isn't, this isn't a political game. This is, a, this is a spiritual war that we're in. It's turning its head. And Jesus is not an objective viewer. He's not neutral. He has a side. He is against division and bondage and oppression and for liberation, peace, and inequality. And if, and if you, you don't have to wonder if you're in pain and carrying that burden, you do not have to wonder where he is. You do not have to wonder what he thinks. You don't have to wonder in the midst of all this, but, but he is with you. He sees your pain. He feels your pain. He sees your tears, and I think he experiences those tears with you. He loves you, wants to be your counselor, healer, friend. And don't, don't be mistaken, he rages war for you. You will be vindicated. And he can be trusted with your hope still. He can be trusted. You can keep hoping in him and in the victory of the kingdom, and that hope will not return void. Even the kingdom will overcome this. Someone stronger has come. Someone stronger has come. To overpower and to strip evil of its mechanisms, he sees you, he loves you, he fights for you. The worship team was, would come up. I just want to finish with this idea that we've alluded to a couple times, that in this, in this war, there is no neutral. And he makes that clear so many places. You're either with him or you're against him. You either gather with him or you're scattered. Your house is never empty. It's always inhabited by someone. So are you fighting? This morning I got up at about 3.45 to come in and, and think and pray. And I left my house and I came up on the corner of 21st in Nebraska at about 4 by the time I got there. And I couldn't get through. There, were, there was just a gobs of police on the corner of 21st in Nebraska at about 4 a.m. And they wouldn't let me through and they were taping off a whole block right there by Checkers and, uh, and Created Place. And uh, a cop just stopped me and he just came out over, told me to roll down my window. And I was like, what's going on? He said, 
where are you headed? Have you been through here in the last 10 or 15 minutes? Are you, are you returning or, or what's going on? I said, I'm headed to University Mall area, which sounds very weird, four in the morning. I was like, I'm going to the mall. And, and, he, and, and when I answer and I tell him, like, I'm going up to that area, I look over and right, like, on the corner of, uh, of I guess it's 23rd in Nebraska, there was a body just laying in the middle of the road. And the, uh, an officer was putting a sheet over the body. And the moment I saw it, and the officer's in my window, and I was just like, dear God, what happened? And he was like, it was a hit and run about 10 minutes ago. And, there, and we, don't, we, we haven't been able to identify the body yet. We don't know anything about the victim or what, because I was asking all these questions. And he, and he says, that's why we're stopping everybody, because sometimes the, the perpetrator will come back by just to take a look or whatever, keep going. And he's like, you know, I, I, I was just like, I don't know, stunned. We, I just talked to him for a minute, and then I was just like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to head out. And in that moment, I was just like sitting in my truck. I had to pull off onto Mitchell or whatever that is and just sit for a moment. And all morning, I've just been, I haven't seen very many dead bodies, to be honest with you. And all morning, I've just been shaken by, and when a driver hits a person, either aggressively as like a, like trying to do it or even unintentionally and sees in the rearview mirror that person laying on the concrete not moving at all and to conclude in your mind no matter why it happened or how it happened to conclude in your mind that you should just keep driving the neglect for human life in that kind of moment is nothing short of demonic it could have been motivated by fear. What's going to happen to me? It could have been motivated by like, by like aggression. Like they did it on purpose. They don't want to get caught and they want to run away or whatever. They, whatever it's motivated by. Sure, sure, there's sin involved. That's fine. But that, that lack of the, 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 the dignity of human life is demonic. And I was just like sitting in my car like so, so gripped by that, wrestling with that. And, and the officer says you're free to go, you're fine. He said, he said, and he actually asked me, why are you going to the mall area? And I said, I'm, I'm, go, I'm, a, I'm a pastor, which is what I usually say instead of trying to explain the underground. I said, I'm a, I said, I'm a pastor and I'm just going up to like pray for a little bit in my office this morning, which is in the university mall area. And he kind of turned, he says, well, have a good morning or whatever. And he turns around and while he's walking away, he kind of, he kind of throws back a little joke. And he turned around and he said, if you're going to go pray, you might as well do it on Nebraska Avenue, not locked in an office. And I was just like, that's right. That is correct. Yes. All of creation waits for the children of God to be revealed, to wake up to the war that we're in and cry out to God, to wage war against evil. The concrete of Nebraska Avenue lays in wait this morning for the kingdom of God and for the children of God to be revealed and wage war against that evil. I've been captivated all this week by this, this line in our language that we, we say we exist to, 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 to help people surrender their whole lives to Jesus, to connect those people to communities that proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God in our city, and we empower those communities to fulfill their God-given calling, and we engage every evil in our city with prayerful action. We engage every evil in our city with prayerful action. I have been just captivated by those words this morning. Will you engage every evil 
Will you engage? Will you give your life to fighting, to waging war against that evil? Not just in activity, but in the place of prayer. Will you engage every evil with prayerful action on the front lines of God's redemptive purposes in this world? Jesus won for himself a community of priests endowed with all authority in heaven and on earth when he went to that cross. This morning we come to the table to remember that he not only liberated and reconciled us from our demons, but is now sending us as liberators and reconcilers, as people fighting for liberation and carrying the ministry of reconciliation. On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. And when you eat it, you remember the price that was paid for your liberation and reconciliation. And in the same way, he took the cup, poured it out and said, this is the new covenant, my shed blood for the forgiveness of sins. When you drink it, you drink it in remembrance of me. So would you come this morning both to receive and to remember the liberation that God has done in you and for you, the reconciliation that God has purchased for you. But would you, would you remember that this morning and come away from the table committed to engage every evil in our city with prayerful action as a priest in this priesthood? Come, the elements given for you.